Chapter Ten of Wild Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Goff. Wild Wales by George Borrow. Chapter Ten. On the following morning, I strolled up the Berwyn on the southwest of the town by a broad winding path, which was at first very steep, but by degrees became less so. When I had accomplished about three parts of the ascent, I came to a place where the road, or path, divided into two. I took the one to the left, which seemingly led to the top of the mountain, and presently came to a cottage, from which a dog rushed barking towards me. An old woman, however, coming to the door, called him back. I said a few words to her in Welsh, whereupon in broken English she asked me to enter the cottage and take a glass of milk. I went in and sat down on a chair, which a sickly-looking young woman handed to me. I asked her in English who she was, but she made no answer, whereupon the old woman told me she was her daughter and had no English. I then asked her in Welsh what was the matter with her. She replied that she had the crid, or ague. The old woman now brought me a glass of milk, and said in the Welsh language that she hoped I should like it. What further conversation we had was in the Cambrian tongue. I asked her the name of the dog, who was now fondling upon me, and was told that his name was Pharaoh. I inquired if they had any books, and was shown two, one a common Bible, printed by the Bible Society, and the other a volume in which the Book of Prayer of the Church of England was bound up with the Bible, both printed at Oxford about the middle of the last century. I found that both mother and daughter were Calvinistic Methodists. After a little further discourse I got up and gave the old woman tuppence for the milk. She accepted it with great reluctance. I inquired whether by following the road I could get to the Penabrin, or the top of the hill. They shook their heads, and the young woman said that I could not, as the road presently took a turn and went down. I asked her how I could get to the top of the hill. "'Which part of the top?' said she. Ir Goruchav, I replied. That must be where the barber's pole stands, said she. Why does the barber's pole stand there, said I. A barber was hanged there a long time ago, said she, and the pole was placed to show the spot. Why was he hanged, said I, for murdering his wife, said she. I asked her some questions about the murder, but the only information she could give me was that it was a very bad murder, and occurred a long time ago. I had observed the pole from our garden at Langochlin, but had concluded that it was a common flagstaff. I inquired the way to it. It was not visible from the cottage, but they gave me directions how to reach it. I bade them farewell, and in about a quarter of an hour reached the pole on the top of the hill. I imagined that I should have a glorious view of the vale of Langochlin from the spot where it stood. The view, however, did not answer my expectations. I returned to Langochlin by nearly the same way by which I had come. The remainder of the day I spent entirely with my family, whom at their particular request I took in the evening to see Plasnewydd, once the villa of the two ladies of Langochlin. It lies on the further side of the bridge, at a little distance from the back part of the church. There is a thoroughfare through the grounds, which are not extensive. Plasnewydd, or the new place, is a small, gloomy mansion, 
with a curious dairy on the right-hand side as you go up to it, and a remarkable stone pump. An old man whom I met in the grounds, and with whom I entered into conversation, said that he remembered the building of the house, and that the place where it now stands was called before its erection Penamice, or the head of the field. End of chapter 10